Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Operate, a new tech startup and company building platform based right here in Southern California. We've got some amazing founders already in our family. And so if you're looking for help with your startup or opportunities to work with the next generation of high growth startup companies around here, or just want to be part of this community, you can go to operatestudio.com to learn more. I'm super excited. This is a long time coming. I'm super excited to have two of my longtime friends, Georgi and Chris, with me on the show today. And before we get to hear from them and the journey that they are on together, let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, we've known each other for almost 20 years now, which is remarkable that, that it goes back that far. <laughs> we were classmates at UCLA, and not only were we in the same class, we were in the same section. And the way things uh, work there, you, you're in your section for most of the first year. So we had almost all of our classes together. And it just reminded me how great of a group we did have in section B. Uh, and it's really cool that, you know, they're now on this startup journey together and we get to talk about Perlin today. Um, they both have had very successful careers in finance and advertising respectively, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, as to how they're complementing each other uh, in the startup. And they've made great progress with Perlin, which is a startup in the home buying experience area. And they're using artificial intelligence to really support consumers and others in that ecosystem uh, through that journey. Guys, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Kerry. Great to be here. Thanks for Absolutely. having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, Georgi, you know, I gave a quick intro to Perlin, but let's start at the beginning as you're really the instigator of mm -hmm. Perlin. So, you know, what was it? I know we talked about it early on, but, you know, share with my audience kind of your insight as to what led you to start. Sure. Uh, I'd love to, Kerry. Uh, so I, I, came at it, I came at the home buying experience from a lender's perspective. You know, I'd worked at large banks running kind of operating companies that lend tens of billions of dollars for purchases annually to home buyers. And through that process, I kind of saw that, you know, it left uh, a lot to desire uh, in a way. It wasn't great. Yeah, people were suffering, agents were suffering, buyers were suffering, no one was happy. Everyone was stressing. Everyone was feeling this anxiety and remorse. And I kind of, over time, I developed a passion for helping home buyers. You know, it's, it's easy when you do a lot of uh, deals and transactions to just look at them as numbers, but you need mm. to remember there's people behind them. There's real life, there's real lifestyles, there's families, there's decisions. And I kind of developed some, this passion, like, boom, this is kind of an unaddressed area. Things are very transactional in this space, but people need help ahead of the transaction. Buyers need help before they're ready to consummate. So I looked around and I realized that, you know, there's a lot of data out there that says the most important problem for these buyers it wasn't actually getting the mortgage. That sounds counterintuitive. I know affordability is huge. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's affordability issues that need to be addressed in our society. But if, if you kind of isolate that issue and talk to actual home buyers who bought a home, their number one problem was finding that home. And when Chris and I and Ilya and others kind of started digging into this, uh, problem, we, we realize there's just simply too much, like since mid-2000s, there's just simply too much information out there available to buyers to process on their own, for any human to process on their own. And that's where we started thinking about how can we use some of these modern technologies to really personalize the information, make the data human in a way, right? So personalize this information for the buyer so they don't have to do all this work on their own and really help them make decisions, understand, predict, make decisions, and move them along the process with the help of AI in a kind of a friendly and hyper-personalized way. And that's really, when we saw that no one was doing this, uh, we saw an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we built a pretty interesting team with kind of complementary skill sets and visions and kind of fit it all together. 
and started e executing against it. But really the insight is there's just too much information out there for humans to handle. That, mm -hmm. that, that's the underlying insight of this thing. And AI can help personalize that information. Chris, does that make sense to you? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I would add something. Um, you know, when we got together, I was, you know, I obviously, you know, knew Georgi from back in the day in section mm -hmm. B, a bunch of rock stars, um, but also had it. So I developed a mutual respect over time. When, when we got together a couple of years ago, it's amazing how time flies. Um, what I was struck by is, um, you, you know, we're awash in all these different, all these new technology and particularly AI is one of these new, newfangled things. But um, you know, the question is, how do you use it? And, um, you know, Georgi's uh, sort of approach or, or sort of, you know, philosophy was so, so fresh to me because it, it wasn't about, you know, traditionally technology is about control, automation is about efficiencies and saving time and sort of the user experience is secondary. Now I think um, all of those things about technology that make life easier is expected. And so the next level, the next premium that, that, uh, technology can deliver is about idiosyncratic personalization. Mm. Um, and so at the, at the root of it with Georgi, it was, hey, you know, we have all this magic at our fingertips that's just starting to be realized. The potential of, of intelligence uh, in our solutions. Um, there's ways in this particular vertical where we can actually, instead of exacting value, we can create value. And what got me excited was, hey, okay, um, <laughs> my perspective as a brand guy um, is about the human experience, is about you know, building on or you know, sort of capturing what the emotional value is of a proposition. And to be honest, that was the gaping hole in real estate and probably in other places, but real estate's what we know best, where it's so much is focused on the transaction that, that the idea that the, the real, to me, the, the biggest part of the sort of value equation is the emotional component because mm -hmm. it's the biggest purchase you're gonna make in your whole life. And it touches on every aspect of your life. And so um, that's what drew me in. It's like, holy cow, this is just a huge opportunity waiting to happen. Yeah, very, very good jumping off point and so many places we can take this. So before we go uh, too much farther, you know, you guys, um, you know, are talking about using uh, machine learning and AI. I'm sure if you look at some of the bigger entrenched players, they're saying, oh, yeah, we use AI. And I mean, it's kind of the buzzword du jour. Uh, that a lot of people are are talking about, and I like you know this this idea of um, the as you said idiosyncratic personalization that it, it creates opportunities to anticipate and ultimately delight people mm -hmm. in an experience that maybe they're not even expecting. So as you guys right. think about yourselves as a startup, you're allocating scarce resources, you're making investments. How how do you see an ability? for you to compete against some of these bigger players in the real estate industry that are probably saying, Oh yeah, we do that. Or, you know, yeah. how, how can you still win from your perspective? That's a, that's a great question. And um, we think about this a lot, obviously, as you can imagine, Carrie, and we wake up every morning and go to bed every morning thinking about this, but what gives us comfort Carrie is that, uh, you know, AI, you know, the, the commoditization of neural networks, right? And all the mm -hmm. white papers that support our work that come out of Google and others, they're all brand new, right? You know, maybe a decade old at most, mm -hmm. some of it, some of that that are very functional. So it leveled the playing field significantly, right? So to us, uh, what we see as an advantage, actually, it's not really, let me just say it this way, it's not really big versus small, it's new versus old. That's kind of how we look at it. Mm -hmm. So in, I'll give you an example. Think of old, either as a business or as a technology, a relational database, right? Or a decision tree model, right? Mm -hmm. So it's if then. So the way you control that system is through structure. You create order because the designer designed it in a certain way and it works a certain way. And it basically, you can see inputs, processing, and outputs. It's the old way, it's a relational database. And it's really trying to control the world through design. Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of, uh, it, cre it creates like this uh, perception of order. I don't want to get too spiritual here, but it creates this perception of order that or the world as it should be, as opposed mm -hmm. to the world as it is. And when you look at new companies, as we call them, or human data companies, as we sometimes refer to them, and we'd like to be one of those, and um, it, they are, they're embracing the world as it is. They're embracing chaos. So you control is through 
outcomes, not through structure. We have no idea what the neural network does. Like mm -hmm. literally we have no idea. We have some guesses of why it told us that this user will like this home or why it told us that this is a modern style home. Like we have ideas of how it does it, but we really don't know. It's the black box. So it's kind of like mirroring the world as it is, which is chaotic and it collapses the world when, a, when a one of our users decides to look at a house, that's when it collapses, right? Until then it's unstructured in every shape and form. So it's really fundamentally, if you say take AI, that's what it is, like it solves human problems, it presets, it creates human experiences, and it needs that chaos, it needs that untamed chaos to operate or not chaos, you know, like it's not transparent, right? And it needs that unstructured runway to operate and if you try to bolt onto that on a relational database, you're just calling it AI, it's not AI. And I think that's the insight that we have is, it's not really big versus small, it's new versus old. And how much institutional or technology barriers do you have internally that we already built that are preventing you from unleashing this stuff? And I think that's where the companies like ours will come, in, come on the scene and say, hey, we can do this. We can do this better than the big guys because we don't have those barriers. Mm. We don't have relational databases that we have to worry about and bolt on our AI neural network on top of it. And I think that from a geeky and strategic and kind of barrier point of view, uh, that's kind of how I think about it. And the outcome, as I said, is better experiences and control through experiences as opposed to trying to force a design on the world that doesn't exist. And you said something very interesting, which is kind of what our mantra is that when you do this, people discover things that they would not have discovered in the relational database because it's so controlled. And that's the, to me, that's the ultimate kind of test of whether it's working properly or not. Um, does that all make sense to you guys? Yeah, it does. I think, you know, as a follow-up, that's that was, that last point was sort of what I was going to ask is yeah. how do you think about, a lot of times when I think about AI, I think about how we're humans navigating things uh, without this support. You know, I think, I think of AI at this phase for most of us as augmented intelligence as opposed to artificial. And even in your case, if you think about it, you know, I'm, I, I call a, a real estate agent and I say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in potentially buying a home. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go through some kind of parameterized process for helping me determine what I should look at. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's location, maybe it's budget. Um, what are the, some of the things that are important to me? Mm -hmm. uh, but they're probably going to put some, 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 you know, some attempts at structure and yeah. maybe limit greatly what I even see. Absolutely. And so I think what's really interesting about what you're trying to do is, to your point, is creating a little bit more broader discovery potential. So speak to that. And I think talk about, you know, what you've seen thus far in the outcomes yeah. um, to really help support it. So I'll, I'll, I will speak to that and I'll give you like a simple example in the real estate of kind of what the difference is. And then I'm sure Chris can come up with other examples outside of real estate as well of kind of how people are doing this already. It's like, mm -hmm. we're not, I mean, I don't want you to think that we think we're making this up. We think we're making this up in real estate, sure. but other people are doing it in all sorts of businesses and we mm -hmm. talk about that all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, first of all, I think the word AI is Meets being misused all the time. We didn't use the word AI in any of our pitches or consumer until maybe, you know, three or four months ago, mm. after we had, you know, a couple of million photos and training mm -hmm. set data, like after we really got comfortable, that's when we started using this thing. And after our F1 scores started hitting 95, 96%, that's mm -hmm. when we kind of got a little more bold about it. But so if you think about technology and AI or if you use AI the way people use it, which is very broadly, it really can do three things, right? It can understand unstructured information. Mm -hmm. It could be users' preferences. Oh, Carrie really likes modern homes. We do that, right? So that's called understanding. Or this photo is actually of a modern home. That's also called understanding. And we actually need machine learning to do both of those things mm -hmm. because that data is not readily available. The next level is to kind of predict, right? And so our understanding F1 score right now is, like I said, hitting, we have 20 some models for machine learning. We're hitting 95, 96% on every model that's out there. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get into the, what F1 score is for machine learning models, I can, we can do that, but it's basically very precise, accurate, and complete. 
Um, in terms of prediction, that's the next level, right? So now that I know Carrie likes modern homes, and now that I know that this home is modern, let me recommend and predict that Carrie will like this home. So that's the next level mm -hmm. of this AI system in real estate. And there, basically, we have 67% engagement of users that we recommend homes that start acting on them, which to, to us, uh, that's pretty good right now, but we can make that better. Mm -hmm. And uh, the third level, or the pinnacle is what you said, which is AI-assisted decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. So AI will never buy a home for you. AI will not tell you, this is one home for you, Carrie, right? But AI will kind of simulate your trade-offs or mm -hmm. help you simulate those trade-offs and speed up the process and help you discover what you like and help you find the things that met, meet what you like. So I'll give you an example of this AI-assisted kind of personalization in a, in a context of real estate. And, um, you know, I'm sure Chris will come up with others, like I said, but like in real estate, you know, you get a um, similar homes from our competitors, right? And those similar homes are literally, this home looks like this home. Therefore, Kerry looked at home A, therefore he should look at home, home B. Well, not necessarily, right? There is another home that has one less bedroom, but has an extra feature that would give Kerry equal utility. So in, in an AI-assisted personalization, that third home comes into consideration because AI simulated your trade-off. But in the analog world, you're getting stupid home recommendations, same home recommendation over and over again, because it looks like the other one you looked at. And that's really the best example I can give you, is that that one home that has one less bedroom that you may not have considered before you looked at that home, but now you have considered it and you're decisions that collapse, so to speak, right? Your mm -hmm. You open the Schrodinger's cat box. That's, I think that's the pinnacle of it. And there we're still learning. That mm -hmm. piece, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you we know how to do that. We're learning, we, we see some light, we see some upside, we see some downside, it's hard, it's super hard. And we need a lot more users uh, to nail that, but that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris, you and I were talking about Netflix the other day, right? And they have a similar yeah. thing. Do you want to speak to that real quick? Yeah, just so, so it's interesting. And, and, and they're also, I, I would never say anything bad about Netflix. I mean, they're, they're like us. They're figuring things out as they go. And, mm -hmm. and I, I heard something where, uh, you know, Netflix um, was a, a bit baffled that um, despite all of their models about what people like, um, a piece of uh, Japanese content actually became uh, extraordinarily popular. And, and it didn't fit any of the cohorts that they developed mm -hmm. based around, around sort of um, decisions uh, from their consumer base. So like, what do you do with that, right? So, so what it brings up to me is there's a, there's a little bit of a problem with sort of early stage AI. Um, and I think it is quote unquote artificial, it's a good name for it now, mm -hmm. um, which is <laughs> instead of really being based on um, individual preference, it seeks to, to create cohorts around uh, decisions made around a limited set of options. And so the more, if you think about it, um, that's sort of an asymptote towards sameness. It's on a curve towards sameness, where ultimately if you limit the set and you're forcing people into boxes, they're gonna end up watching the same stuff. Yeah. Um, I know that's, that's horribly generalized, but so, so our, our goal, what was exciting about where we were going is, is a couple things. One, um, bringing into the equation many more variables than just the product. So lifestyle, um, routine, mm -hmm you know, where they drive, not just to work, but where do they take their kids to soccer? Um, all of those things, you know, do they like to work out? Do they care about a quiet neighborhood? You know, all of this stuff you know, that, that isn't just, did they like that house? And what are similar houses that other people bought that have similar incomes? Um, and so that's what's really exciting. Um, and, and the other part of it is, um, as opposed to being, again, transactional. So in the moment, that particular recommendation, which is, I think ultimately a reflection of what um, Georgi was talking about, you know, a, a basis in, in sort of relational logical thinking, which is the end goal is to provide a decision as opposed to to provide a, a dialogue. What we're talking about is we're not planning to make any decisions at all for our customers. Uh, that wouldn't be uh, assisted intelligence. That would be uh, a level of control that we don't want to sure. take, right? And so that's what's exciting is through the three levels that um, Georgi was discussing in each one, starting with the very first one, uh, understanding we're, we're engaging consumers before they even look at a listing. Like our goal is to get them to use our tools 
uh, our computer vision and, and machine learning to actually look at different kitchens and look at different, you know, do you like this fenestration? Do you like this and that? So we're sort of developing this very rich understanding of what they like before they start clicking on a listing. Mm. Um, before that, all those filters get applied. You know what I mean? Like sussing out what they really like before the filters. Um, and then as it goes along the way, um, you know, offering up suggestions and predictions, but, um, you know, actually um, introducing a conversation about um, that, that actually responds to not just what they say they like, but okay, how many seconds do they spend looking at kitchens? You know, how many seconds did they, you know, wait, you know, 50% of the time it's they're gravitating towards modern, you know, or, you know, they spend a lot of time looking at walk-in closets. Or better yet, Tudor style, which no one knows what Tudor style no is. No one knows, right. Like, yeah. Some of these things, that, that's part of the problem. There is a, um, you know, in, in the data that's out there, agents don't know what these things are. So there's a sure. miscategorization um, yeah. in, the, in the written form. And so by using visual, that's a whole other category. Um, Im Image-based sure. intelligence is a big forte. And that's something that, that gets around that point. That's actually the image-based piece is what gets to what we were talking about earlier, which is discovering things that, that were not expected. Funny or things, things people may not know about themselves. May right? not the even point, know. I mean, precisely. It's, if you think about, you know, what what I was pulling out of what you were just saying, I mean, a couple of things. Number one, on this sameness uh, category, and I've seen this firsthand um, that there are people that will say, you know what, I'm willing to go into this transitional neighborhood first. I'll be somebody that'll go in there, and that'll help shape the future redevelopment or transition of that neighborhood. I had, when I lived in Chicago years ago, before we met, I had friends of mine that were willing to go do that. And I had others that weren't. And those were trade-offs. Um, and you think about that. I mean, in the Netflix case, there are people that are willing to go watch and discover something outside of the predicted genre. And then their willingness and ability to talk about it may be what influences a whole slew yeah. of other people because they are a, a, a trendsetter, right? And so those yeah. are the really interesting things about humanness that I think are difficult for, you know, really controlling uh, machine learning models to, to predict. And that's what makes it fascinating. But yeah. the insights like you're talking about where, you know, hey, it looks like you really care about kitchens. People may not actually be consciously aware of that and and i even feel like you could potentially surface things to them that say you know it seems like you like this kind of kitchen there aren't homes that have that kind of kitchen right exactly. now but this kind of kitchen could be put into yeah, exactly. this type of home yeah and work right so like the opportunities yeah. <laughs> for you to assist people is incredible from how exactly. i you nailed oh, it. I see it. Yeah. yeah, you just you just read the script of our um, of our smart chat right then. <laughs> That's exactly what it'll say. <laughs> yeah, but that I mean it makes sense, but it's not what's out there today, right? So that's what's so exciting about what you guys are doing because to your point, this is you know one of the biggest purchases, if not the biggest purchase for most people. And you know we're starting to see, for example, people. I bought my last two cars online, so it's we're not far away from being able to be greatly assisted and, you know, instead of um, paying an increased price to buy a home, I can put that into that kitchen that I want. That's right. uh, and so you guys, you know, you guys are right there. So let's, uh, let's transition a little bit. You know, as you were saying, Chris, you guys are a couple years into this time flies when you're having fun. And, you know, one of the things I often say to startup founders is twice as long, twice as expensive. Um, you know, you have to have, sort of optimal uh, delusion to, to start these things, but it typically takes mm -hmm. twice as long and it costs twice as much as, as we forecast. And that's just the reality of it. Um, and we should plan for that. So as you think about what you guys have learned so far in this journey and, and working together, how would, you, uh, how would you characterize, you know, here's what we've learned and this is going to help us down the line. Chris, you wanna go first or? I was going to ask you to go first, but okay, so <laughs> this is the benefit of having two, on, <laughs> two people on at the same time. That's a deep one. I mean, it's a good one. It's a very good question. And, you know, going into this, Carrie, when you and I first started talking about Perlene, I was telling you that, you know, I don't expect, like, we have a very citizen team, as you know, Carrie, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we've done stuff. We've been 
running businesses uh, within larger corporations, but like subsidiary businesses of mm. scale and things like mm -hmm. that. So coming into this, I used to tell you originally, like I don't really expect to learn anything other than uh, other than like how this AI needs to work in real estate, like which no one else knew at that point, right? So that, that used to be my point of view, but a year plus into this, I've actually learned a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so first thing I learned personally is uh, how to react and process criticism. And, and by criticism, I mean like critical feedback or people telling you your idea is stupid, right? Because mm -hmm. you'll, as a founder, you'll hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't know how to deal with that. I've always been like the person in charge, wanting big things, <laughs> making the right decisions all the time. There was a lot, always a lot of certainty in my world before I started Perlin. So I'm like, I had to slow down and wait a minute. I had to embrace the idea that if they're spending time, as you know, in the startup world, you know, you have minutes to interact with mm -hmm. people, right? Now, mm -hmm. hours or, you know. So if they're spending time, if these people in the startup ecosystem are spend, spending time to give you critical feedback, that actually is a positive, right? That means they care mm -hmm. about what you've said, they're mm -hmm. engaged with it, and they're just telling you what they think about it. And that's kind of how I started. I started to see every critical kind of feedback as, as an opportunity to learn and not react to it the way I would react to it in a big corporate uh, mm -hmm. environment where you would be just a political battle, right? If you criticize my business, then that's it, game on, we are, we are battling mm -hmm. now, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to change that mindset and that was actually a learning experience and that's probably more applicable to people who are kind of with my background where made the transition from big to startup or later in their careers. And the other thing I learned, I think, is, and I don't, I'm still learning both of these things, but the other thing I learned is like, you don't have to listen to everyone at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, you have to develop a skill of like listening to 5% or 10% of what people tell you that matter. Mm -hmm. So you can't keep changing your mind of who you are and what you do. People won't like it. Some people will like it. Uh, but in every feedback, there is opportunity to learn, but you don't necessarily have to listen to everything per se mm -hmm. and react to everything per se so it's just my personal growth and i think it's been great um, because i didn't have this before like mm -hmm. you know i i was pretty young in business school i kept i was like i was always kind of performing at a very high level personally and i was always right right i was always <laughs> right in my entire life and mm -hmm. all of a sudden people think i'm wrong and that was uh, that was interesting learning but it made me a better person and it made me a better business person i think mm -hmm. in the process. well and i think so, you know it's yeah we're often as as startup founders we often are wrong in the right. short term i mean let's Absolutely. be honest right, right. it is uh you know we, we can't necessarily foretell the the future in the short term right and you know part of what i uh i, I talked to a lot of founders about that i'm more interested in understanding your learning process mm -hmm. because i'm pretty convinced you don't have it right Mm -hmm. uh, particularly Great in the point. short term, um, the vision might be right over the long term, but how you climb that mountain, how you get there, I want to have a, a good sense that you have a, an honest process for learning along the way because um, there's any number of things that are going to get thrown in front of you. I mean, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think any one of us was likely to predict a pandemic this year mm -hmm. and that that would actually lead to a big change in the the housing market and mm -hmm. you know we were talking about how you know certain cities are having huge downturns in whether it's prices or transactions and you're seeing places like rural montana that are surging mm -hmm. right so so it's hard in the short term but that doesn't necessarily uh, kill your vision it doesn't necessarily right. uh, you know change things long term but you have to adjust, right? And so uh, I think you, you share, I mean, the, the points you share, Gary, are, are so valuable for people to, to really internalize because that's hard. You know, it's if you've been hard. successful, mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden people start telling you your, your baby is ugly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> how you deal with that is, yeah. is really key because, yeah. you know, some people just shut off the whole world as their way to deal with it. And I don't think that generally goes well. Now, if I could add to that yeah, a little yeah. bit, is, uh, you know, an old colleague of mine, Chris Farrell said, you know, the, the greatest invention in the world 
uh, will, will not uh, be successful if it stays in the closet. That's right. <laughs> if you like tinkering in your garage okay. and no one knows about it. So similarly, I mean, I, I feel like the learning I'm, I had was we, we jumped into this and we're, we're super excited about, about the user experience and what we were doing to, to sort of, you know, take the, to, you know, allow AI to blossom in that context and create value, mm -hmm. all of that. And for a while, you know, there, there's a focus on that user experience. And what we needed to adjust was not the vision, as you said, of where we're gonna, where the value is being created, but, but first who the audience is and, and how we can transact or monetize that experience. And so as opposed to being, trying to just court the consumer, we were somewhat forced by COVID, but, but it, the thinking was there already, it got accelerated, which is finding, okay, so where, where does that, you know, and this is the challenge that uh, we've talked about before, it's just sort of the B2B versus B2C. Mm -hmm understanding and this is a hard one because a lot of investors don't get this is that ultimately value is already, always starts with the buyer the user mm -hmm. always right and so and and what we think is that that the user value is about user experience and so you have to create that experience and that's the onus is on on the, the company but now the, so our opportunity is another step another evolution from that which is not just the experience, but the personalized experience. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, then you look at who is at that same place in, in the market. And if we're gonna shift from focusing just on the, the customer rather than the client to the clients, who are the clients that are at the right, you know, who are at that juncture where they, where they get it? You know, we can't convince people who don't get it necessarily. You gotta find the ones that do and then, and then prove it, right? And so that's what's kind of exciting about where we are now. And it took time and man, we had to like give up some, some babies, We've had a lot of babies. Mm -hmm. We didn't give up mm -hmm. the idea of what sure. we're gonna do, but we had to give up some things along the way, which is hard. But now we've sort of, you know, in stepping back and sort of evaluating, okay, what are the, what's the core of the vision? What are the core technology pieces we've already built that add and don't take away from that vision, right? Because you can get distracted. If you've ever That's worked right. with engineers, you know, distraction is one of the main things. It's like trying to, you know, maintain a focus. Um, but so we're at a place now where we've actually spent enough time honing in on what that value is to the client, not the, not the consumer, it's both. But mm -hmm. that we've been able to get to a really good place with some giant um, folks out there that actually are at a critical point in their businesses mm -hmm. where they have to reevaluate their relationship with the consumer and are realizing that personalization through the tools that are now available is the way to go and they don't know how to do it. And a lot sure. of people don't know how to, people are trying and haven't figured it out. Um, and so some of the stuff that we pushed on, not knowing it would be, you know, a leading component, like our image-based intelligence is huge. Like no one can do what we can do. And that was part of our solution. Now realizing it's really a salient component, um, which can help us drive this difference, which is about personalization. So anyway, back to what you said, it's really, you know, it's, we, we stuck to the vision. We listened to things, took it as input, not as rejection, but as in something to learn from. And we've had to, you know, steer around some corners and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's being able to give up some things like and maintain a bit of objectivity. Right. Which is super hard. Right. It's really that, hard. That raises yeah. a good point. So uh, as you think about, you know, as I hear you describing it, I find that, you know, you guys have been thoughtful about what I'll call understanding the entire value chain. Mm -hmm. And I find that some some founders get really fixated on just disrupting it and cutting straight through, for example, and saying, we're going we're gonna to put all these other people out of business and we're going to go direct to the customer. And I feel like that often doesn't fully understand why these other pieces exist in the, the value chain. And yes, they might be an intermediary, but they're going to do a lot to defend themselves. <laughs> they're not just going to roll over and go away quietly, right? Yeah. And so, you know, how, how have you guys um, really, you know, thought about that? Because obviously, you know, you, you have made some, uh, some progress in embracing some of these folks that, that many in the real estate industry might consider to be intermediaries. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll take you, I'll give you my take on that. So first of all, we understand, it's like Ender's game, like you have to understand the enemy and love them mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. change the enemy, right? So we understand this thing from A to Z in our team. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where you start. You can't just change something you don't understand. You have mm -hmm. to love it to change it. And then we love it. <laughs> and then once you get to that point, then you start thinking about how to change it. And I'll go back to our earlier conversation, which is 
in order for AI to, we're very much into this AI black box, gives you the right results, just trust it kind of paradigm in our business. Mm -hmm. And in, in order for that to work, which is why Chris is such a huge part of our kind of vision as well, is because you have to be able to trust it. Mm -hmm. In order to trust it, you need some kind of trust asset, like a brand, right, that you mm -hmm. trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there's pieces in the old, so to speak, that are actually required for an AI-based business to work. Mm. Because without trust, no one's gonna listen to my recommendation, right? Mm. Uh, you can have the best outcome, but if you don't actually engage with it, and if you don't wanna give it information, in order to personalize, I need to know who you are, or I need you to act on my system, and you mm. need to trust me. And I think that trust, and this is a whole new topic that we talk about privacy and trust and AI, like that's a whole new separate topic, but it just goes to your question of like, the old has a lot of assets that are required for the new to succeed. And brand and reach are two examples of that. And it doesn't make sense to just destroy it and burn it down. You can build on top of it and then slowly. Uh, and by the way, I don't, by brand, I don't necessarily mean again, carry a large company. Mm -hmm. An AI enabled company can leverage local micro brands of local businesses that have mm -hmm. been in that community for decades. That's what I mean. I don't necessarily mean mm -hmm. you need to be a huge brand, like a national brand. No, just whatever the trust, pro trust proxy is, you need to leverage that. Mm -hmm. And it may very well be, depending on the business, a local mom and shop that has built huge equity in that community over 30 years. And now all of a sudden you're amplifying that, right? Sure. So that's kind of how I think about it is you first, you have to love it. To love it, you have to understand it from A to Z. And then you have to build on top of it because if you're gonna be an AI business, you're gonna need components that they already have. You can't mm -hmm. recreate everything. It's, it's just, also, it's not value add to recreate everything. You're not creating value. So that's kind of how I thought about that question. Well, one thing I would add, I'll make this really quick, um, is that if you put it in the context of real estate, um, you had 20 years ago when Zillow came out with its estimate and broke open the MLS, there was this notion that there is a possibility for technology solutions to, to tear down the old and come up with the new. We know that doesn't work. So, but you still have this, this sort of um, didactic between the, the uh, technology companies who are trying to turn upside down real estate and then the brokerages that are trying to become technology companies mm -hmm. or trying to deploy technology. And, and so there's this, even in the, the largest technology or brokerages, you see this battle internally between the tech guys and the real estate yeah. guys, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, neither one is right in our opinion. Sure. Um, be, because we understand it, we love it all that, we, we actually are starting at the very top of the business and saying, no, um, technology is, uh, your brand is a, a incredibly, in your relationships, a very incredibly important exactly. asset in the equation. Mm -hmm. You can't deny that. Um, but the evolution of technology, particularly in how you scale the premium of your service offering, um, that's equally important. So it's not one or the other. It's more elevating your practices to include that new technology. Mm -hmm. So it's not saying, hey, look at me, now I'm a tech company, because that, that sort of, that diminishes the value of your brand. You don't wanna do that. It's more like, because we're this leading brand, because we're, you know, because we're the Versace of our business, you know, yeah. we do this. If you think about the technology innovation of, of, you know, Rolex, like they're always, no one thinks about it this way, but they are the most advanced watch company in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's why they cost $20,000 a piece, you know, because they do both, right? Um, and so that's, that's similarly, you know, the pitch that we're making and getting, you know, traction with, with very large premium brokerages. Well, I think um, people are seeing, right. I mean, the most valuable companies in the world are technology companies yes. mm -hmm. and those I had, I had a guest on uh, several months ago who, uh, it was the founder of a leading architecture firm. And his point was, if you don't identify yourself as a software company in 2020, you're way, way behind. And so at least at some level, having a, a real point of view, to your point, at the highest levels of technology has to be a part of this business in a significant way or else we're, we're probably not gonna be in business much longer. Yeah, right? I think that's so, a, yeah, I think that's a great point, Kerry. I guess what I would add to that is, I think truly AI-enabled companies will mm -hmm. need brand more than they do now in 2020. Mm -hmm. In 10 years from now, mm -hmm. brand and brand trust Mm -hmm. will become premium mm -hmm. and AI and machine learning models and neural networks will be commoditized. Yes. I think they already in large respects they already are. 
They already, right? it, yeah. you know, it, it, I would argue uh, that you know brand is probably what allows you to get the unique That's data right. assets. That's right. That will help you win. Right. Because the models themselves are largely commodity. It's about right. having the unique data to then be able to apply it to, to improve people's lives. So yeah, you're, I think you guys are spot on with that perspective. And um, that, you know, it, it'll be fascinating to continue to revisit this in the next yeah. decade for sure. So you guys have known each other for a long time. You know, what was it that led you guys to come together? Like what, what, you know, what was it that said, Hey, this it's time for us to actually work together because you had the friendship, you had the mutual respect, but working together is a big, that's a big jumping off point. So um, what was it? From my point of view, we just saw like a business value from from like, you know, I needed Chris and Chris needed me to do something like this. Mm. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that's as simple as it gets. Like I needed someone, you know, my our CTO and I are very like, logic based you know structure people we're the mm-hmm. relational database people really in our training <laughs> right so but we realize that we understand it again we love it and we realize its shortcomings that we want to build on top of it and the missing piece is this feeling and you know i'm not the best with feelings <laughs> so but the basic thing is this feeling of right like this is right it feels right mm-hmm. it looks right and smells right and that, that was the piece where Chris and I started talking about. I reached out to him and said, hey, I know you're one of the best brand people. And I've admired Chris since business school. And one of the best brand thinkers I know. Uh, and that's not just about the fluffy, but also it's about the real, right? Mm-hmm. And connects the two, makes it analytically um, appealing, you know, the brand side of it. So that's kind of how we started. And I think from my point, point of view, I quickly saw that we needed someone like Chris in order to get this right and he can speak for himself but i suspect it's it's you know it's it's like needing each other to accomplish mm-hmm. your goal it's believing in goal buying signing up for the goals signing up for the vision sign up for what you can accomplish and then seeing that you need it or the other person is needed to accomplish that goal mm. uh, yeah the, the only thing i would what i would add to that which which i think complements what what Georgi is saying um is you know, Jurgen and Ilya both have massive intellects and really, really deep um, experience in the field and know the intersection between all the parties that function within those fields and all the technologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's an amazing combination. So that in and of itself is, is incredible. I've worked with some other CEOs and worked with engineering teams in the past. What struck me is these guys, the, 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 the culture, the openness to communication, the openness to ideas that they both have. I mean, from the, from the get-go, you heard Gary say this, he needed something, he needed someone like me. He, mm-hmm. he knows his own weaknesses and went to fill them, didn't try to override them with his strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that, we have uh, regular meetings, the three of us, and the dynamic is amazing. I've never been in a room like with executives that's that, that where it's a true dialogue and mm-hmm. people are listening and they're not just defending their turf. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming up with solutions on the fly that, you know, sort of reflect all of our perspectives and wisdom. Uh, that's thrilling to me. I haven't, haven't ex- experienced that. I mean, you probably know from working with technology companies, there's a lot of egos and there's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, you get mm-hmm. pretty deep in your discipline. It's hard to, to budge on things. So um, that, that's, that's a big part of it. So that I would add along with everything else that Yuri said. Very cool. And incredibly important. I mean, I can't underscore enough how, rare i mean to your point chris that is rare and magical Uh, and and i'm sure it just breeds confidence from you guys day in and day out that we're going to find our way Mm -hmm. because we have these complementary even if somewhat divergent skills that give us the ability to look at things from multiple points of view that that goes back to what i was saying earlier of having this rigorous learning process. You, yeah. you, you're going to create more confidence with each other, with your team, with investors, when you show uh, one person doesn't always have to be right, mm-hmm. that we're going to work and you know beat this up from a bunch of angles to try to figure out what the best possible solution can be. So that's very encouraging and I'm sure very fulfilling for you guys day in and day out. So what do you consider to be your operating principles now that you're a couple of years into this? 
So we, we really have one rule is not to abuse data. I mean, I know Google said that and maybe they've strayed from it, but mm -hmm. we truly believe that in order for AI to succeed, there has to be trust. Mm -hmm. And in order to trust to be nurtured and created, you, you really need to say what you do and do what you say. Mm -hmm. and, and to us, it, it, operating principle isn't about, oh, taking the issue with privacy or this privacy that or uh, CCPA this. It's, it's really, you know, we view it as if you create value with your technology, people will use it and they mm -hmm. will give it as much information as they want to in order to get more value. And that's mm -hmm. really our operating principle is to do the right thing at the right time for the right person. Like if I had to sum it up in one sentence, uh, that's it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are very, like, we've never sold a lead, even though we've had thousands and tens of thousands and people, investors have told us, why are you not monetizing this stuff? Because we're building an AI company. And if we start monetizing and selling leads, people may not trust us anymore. And that mm -hmm. creating the data is more important and more valuable than whatever you can get per lead or whatever mm -hmm. in the company. So that's, I would say that's kind of our one operating principle is create value for the user at the right time for the right user, uh, the right value, and just be, to cherish their trust, cherish their trust. And that, to me, that's kind of how we think about of what this AI-enabled businesses in the future will converge into. Um, so we're very kind of bullish on this trust concept, um, and we think it's huge. And that's our operating principle, I would say. Does that make sense to you, Kerry? It does. It's uh, that's amazing. I mean, it. it uh, I think it, it sort of shows too that you know there's a, a clear vision and a true north, and sometimes you have to sacrifice in the short term. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as you make sure you can survive, right? Like that's that's the trade-off that I think a lot of founders. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what what often will will cause them to stray is that survival need. Um, and you know, I, I commend you for staying uh, clear and, and focused on it. Uh, and yeah. I think you know, over the long term, that will that will pay off. How do you guys keep yourself sharp, focused? I mean, you're in a bleeding edge space. How how do you stay focused and innovative uh, as you move forward? For me, it's just the learning never stops, man. Mm -hmm. Like you know, GTP3 blurts this, blurts that, you know, it's, it just never stops. And it's, I'm, I'm very happy that you're stressing this learning a lot because it's, that's what life is. And that's what being mm -hmm. a startup founder, especially in the tech world is. Like, if you think you've learned it, I always think about, you know, when we were in business school, Donald Rumsfeld threw out those things like known knows and known unknowns and unknown knowns. And, you know, even though it sounded absurd back, back then, it's just kind of, I kind of think about that a lot. And, uh, it's always about discovering what you think you know, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times you think you know stuff and you don't really know them. And it's always discovering what you don't know and just kind of exploring. So it never stops. Like we consume a lot of information. We stay on top of a lot of what's going on. And then the challenge is how do you translate that into value in your business? And that's very, you know, staying abreast of stuff is easy. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean without distracting you? What does it mean without confusing the team? What, like, how do you distill what's going on out there and apply mm -hmm. it into the use case of your business? And that's the magic that, you know, we continue to try and learn and improvise on. And hopefully at one, sometime we'll get it, get it right. Yeah, the only thing I would add, I think that was, that was very well put, Georgi, mm -hmm. and the whole continuation of learning and embracing really your competition, actually, like right. understanding everything 100%. that's going on. But what I'll add is the lifestyle component, and this is a challenge, but I really think balance is important. Um, I mean, we work crazy hours and we're constantly thinking about work, but forcing yourself to, to get back. Like, I know both you're going to have, have kids um, mm -hmm. and, and, and we try really hard to, to protect that and spend time with mm -hmm. them and, and uh, you know, working out, things like that. Sleep goes away. Sleep, you know, you don't need sleep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, keeping that somewhat of that balance because that way your gyroscope gets off. I mean, if you get yeah. so, I think if you don't keep that balance, then the risk is you go down the tunnel of of no return and then you start to get short-sighted with things but if you mean if you step back then you can get a clearer perspective on things so yeah i i think that's key and i don't even purport to to know exactly what the answer is but just that intentionality of being mm -hmm. aware of it thinking about it trying to be 
present in those different roles that that we have to play or or choose to play in life um, is is key. So I thank you for sharing that, Chris. We're up against time, guys. I of course could do this for hours and hours uh, with you guys all the time. If you think about entrepreneurs and you know you guys are building a company and you're operating this company, we talk a lot at within our venture studio and, and on the show about, you know, the key of, of really having, you know, we talked about operating principles, but if you think about one area in those early stages of a business that you think entrepreneurs should focus on, what, what is it that you think is sort of most important in those early stages? I'll go first for me, it's to have a focus. Hmm. Like I, I kind of hit on this a couple of times and you said it differently as well, but it's, have a vision. Like, I like how you put it, Kerry. It's like it's short-term versus long-term. Have a long-term vision. And by long-term, I don't mean a decade, but mm -hmm. you know, three years, two years, three years down the road at least. Have this long-term vision and focus on that. And everything you do should filter through that because as we discussed, you'll get pulled in many different directions. You'll discover challenges you didn't even conceive of uh, could exist. But you know, maintain that focus. Uh, is uh, very important and it also helps you deal with stuff as, the, as it comes up if you can kind of organize them neatly into okay this I got punched in the face on this one right now mm. but you know what I learned this from this and therefore that applies to my plan product roadmap in uh, six months from now so it's all good mm -hmm. and kind of having that attitude you kind of have to as a, a startup founder otherwise you'll get crushed by the ambiguity and the uncertainty of it all mm -hmm. that's my view Chris? Um, all that is, is perfect. Um, but I, one thing I would add is, um, you know, re really, I think it, it boils down to, and this goes back to brands too, it, it all has to start with a fundamental um, need or value proposition, no matter what. And I think one risk is if, if you, especially in technology, um, getting caught up in the technology for technology's sake mm -hmm. um, and losing track of, of what the actual need is and losing track of, again, related to that, obviously, is, is a market for that need. Mm -hmm. So. Um, they, making sure that we, you have all those components first and then things will, and then, and then being flexible and being able to let your, um, you know, the product end of things, the technology end of things evolve with the understanding of that opportunity. I think that's really key because, you know, more often than not, you can, you can get down that, you know, go down that rabbit hole uh, with, you think you've got the best, you know, widget in the world. Um, and, you know, if you, if you start to lose track of what, what it's actually for, like the value that you're trying to create, uh, that's a dangerous thing. So that's, that's what I would say. Chris, uh, Georgi, thank you so much. A, a super fun conversation. I greatly appreciate how thoughtful you guys both are about life, about business, about building a startup together. And I'm so happy to see you guys working together and seeing the progress that you're making. And uh, I appreciate friendship with both you guys and for you joining me on on the show today and thanks for sharing that with uh with me and and with my audience thank you for listening to this week's episode of operate podcast if you like this conversation as a favor to me you can rate us review us or subscribe or tell your friends you can also reach out to us on twitter at operate podcast until next week get out there and operate